everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. And welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we try to figure out how to invest. That's what Danielle's doing. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> we talk about we talk about how to invest mindfully, which is a word I hate, but it's an accurate word. We talk about how to invest with awareness, with consciousness, with a sense of investedness in our lives and in where our money goes. Like we're doing yoga for money. Ooh. Yoga for money. Except not as painful. <laughs> hey, Dad, how's your yoga practice going? Oh, man, I have not done <laughs> anything. Oh, that's Five days so ago. Cheating. You told me that you were going to start doing yoga every single day for at least 10 minutes. You know, this is it, isn't it? It's really right there in a nutshell. There's nothing stopping me from doing yoga for 10 minutes. There's nothing stopping me. I know it's good for me. It actually feels good when you get going on it. Nothing stopping me. Same thing with investing. There's nothing stopping you from spending a little bit of time each day, each day, each day, and having a practice. It's a practice. It requires a little discipline. It requires a clear understanding of the benefit. And you know what? I think we also have to understand the pain of not doing it that's headed our way. Well, that is true. And that's the hardest part, right? It's like a diet. It's like you don't want to do your diet at that moment. What you want is the long-term <laughs> benefits of your diet. And you want to avoid the painfulness in that moment of eating leafy greens instead of chocolate cake. Exactly. And it's the same with yoga. I mean, I, I do have to say, I think that there is a hurdle with yoga and with investing, which is that it's very painful at the beginning. Very, very painful. So when you have not been doing yoga, when you haven't been stretching and then you do it the first time, it hurts so badly. Like it just, it just does. I don't care who you are. It just does. It hurts. And that's why you don't want to do it, frankly, because when you think about it, you think about how that's going to hurt. And you know that after a week, it's not really going to hurt, but it's that first week that's really terrible. And You're I making think this sound really scary, hard, like investing money is going to be really painful. No, I was talking about yoga. I know. Now I'll get metaphor. to investing. Okay, good. <laughs> I was going to say that investing is not as painful, okay. but it just requires that that extra effort and particularly time out of your day that you probably haven't allocated typically to investing. Um, whereas yoga, maybe you can take out of like your already allocated workout time. Mm -hmm. but investing requires its own new time. And that in itself is painful. But I don't think the actual, pro because our, and I'm, I'm like quoting, you know, I'm putting investing in quotes because what we do is not, or what you do is not like, oh, go and buy a stock tomorrow. So what investing means, like practicing investing, is go read some news articles. Like literally like sit on your couch and read a New York Times article for 10 minutes. Like it's not, it's not painful, but it requires attention and noticing and a little bit of mindfulness and that's hard. And if you do it, you have a chance of really having enough money to, you know, pay your health bills for those of you who are not going to do the yoga. So there you go. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> speaking so for myself here. What you're saying is that if I trade off the yoga and do the investing, all of this happening only in my mind, I've actually won. You've won, and, and, and you might beat the odds. Without doing any yoga at all, you might still live a completely healthy life. But on the other hand, if you don't invest, you are almost certainly going to not have enough money. So there you go. <laughs> It's like I would root. I, I got to pay for my future knee replacement somehow. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're going to end up with a two-tier medical system, so you better have some money for the knee replacement. Otherwise, you're not going to get one until you're 93 and don't need it. So but really what, what I'm trying to do here by learning this stuff is make it less painful. That yeah. is literally my goal. Well, I want to talk today about something that makes investing a lot less painful, and that is cash flow. Cash flow is good. And companies, the whole point of a business from an in, purely an investment, well, man, I, I can't even get that pure about it because I'm definitely uh, not only a value type investor, which we talked about last time, but also a values investor or a, what are some other words for that kind of concept? I like the word mission. 
I'm a mission investor. I'm a I'm a like what? Finding a company that has a mission you that support. I like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I, I also like, to tie like my how you say too. that you vote your values with your yeah. money. I want to vote my values nice. with my money. So I, I, I can't ever say that businesses are just about the cash flow they produce. That is just too Jim Cramer for the real world. And it is absolutely not true that almost, you know, the majority of entrepreneurs are doing something because they really see an opportunity to change something in the world. They find a need and they fill it, you know. And it might be something as little as a cleaning company in a place that doesn't have good quality cleaning companies to, you know, building a computer with beautiful fonts. I mean, you know, it's just that comes from entrepreneurs. And so I love business people who start companies. I'm not sure I'm as, as in love with business people who are mercenaries and are just really good at running them because sometimes they can get, you know, well, everybody can get off the path a bit. But I, I just want to say that they're... The one of the major focuses of a business is its cash flow. And that's one of the reasons we buy them is to get the cash flow. And it is almost entirely how we figure out what the value of the business is going to be. Because ultimately, a business is different than a Picasso. A Picasso is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. But a business has cash flow. And cash is the same exact element that you're paying for this business. So in other words, you're not going to pay a million dollars for a business that is never going to deliver you more than, let's say, $50. No one would do that, mm-hmm. right? Whereas you might pay the million dollars to Picasso without any idea what it's worth to somebody else down the road 30 years. So you you are looking at the cash flow of a business when it comes time to decide what to pay for one. And I, I think that understanding a piece of that cash flow Um, particularly the cash flow that lands in your pocket is really important. And the cash flow, Danielle, my beautiful daughter, that (laughs) lands in your pocket is called a dividend. Okay, I was wondering where you were going with that. I'm like, is this imaginary cash flow? Because sometimes you talk about imaginary cash flow. It's not imaginary to the company, but it's imaginary to us, the investors. So this is not, this is not imaginary. This is actual cold, hard cash. Yep. This is the, what you're calling imaginary cash flow. It's more imaginary ownership is what I'm thinking. And when I talk yeah, about... Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not imaginary cash. It's real to the company. It's real to the company if you were the Sometimes sole owner. Sometimes you talk about it as though we're getting it. Right, and, right. You'd have to be the sole owner in order to, to actually take, take the cash flow, yeah. right? And since we're not that sole owner, we're, we're, we're at the mercy of the company's board of directors and the CEO to determine how much of that cash flow we're actually going to get. And that amount is called the dividend. Okay. So. So, dividends are optional. Yes, they are. Because the company... They are... Go ahead. Well, the company has, um, has earnings. But earnings are fictional. We've talked about this before. Earnings are a fiction. You can't spend earnings. There are companies that have gone broke with lots of earnings, amazingly, because they ran out of cash. And, and that's, so earnings are, for public companies, are a fiction of the accounting system of generally accepted accounting principles in accrual accounting. Now, they're not entirely a fiction. I mean, they're, they're definitely an important thing to understand about a business. If we're the owner of that business and we're the sole owner of the business, then we can't spend earnings because earnings are not in a bank account. They're on a ledger someplace. What we can spend is cash flow. And we can't spend all the cash flow because if we spend all of the cash flow of a business, then it might not have enough money to grow the business or to even keep the business running. So some business- If the earnings aren't rolling in at a fast enough rate, then the cash flow is inadequate to actually continue the business. Yeah, um, you could say it kind of like that. The, the key thing is that you have to have cash in order to pay for the replacement of your equipment of running this business. And you have to have cash in order to continue to expand the business. You gotta spend money on expansion. And those things take cash. Now, if there's any cash left over. Doesn't the, cash also pay for the day-to-day, like, you know, salaries and? Oh, sure. Okay. Oh, sure. But when we're talking about cash flow, 
that is typically uh, understood to mean after all of those kinds of things have been paid. Okay. So cash flow is what's left after you've paid out all this stuff. Okay? You paid all the stuff and then it flows from there. And it flows from there, except for stuff you paid for that are what are called capital expenditures, um, items like that have a longer life, you know, that, that you're not going to use up this year, like um, retooling your machine shop, like buying engines for trains and putting down tracks. Those things you also have to spend money on, and they are not accounted for um, in earnings um, exactly. So what we're going to do is we're going to understand there's something called operating cash flow in a company, and you find this operating cash flow number in your company, in a public company, by looking at one of the three financial statements that every public company has to give you. Those financial statements are... The cash flow statement. That's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was, the income statement. Yes. And the other one. The other one is where Head you learn. Step child who no one cares about. It's where you learn about. If I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. That's all I know. It's, it's where you learn about. The equity. Exactly. Yeah. Or something. I should know that one because I've spent a lot of time with equity. So, the, so um, yes, those are the three. You're those, right, Dad. Good job. Oh, uh, you're welcome. The, so you nailed the cash flow one right off the bat because we were already talking about that. It was a total cheat. And I'm not entirely sure you would have got that on your own. But it's okay. It's okay. You did good. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so we, the cash flow statement is, well, let's, let's look at each of these. The major, the, the major numbers we're looking for on the income statement are the revenues, and then we compare revenues across the years to see the revenue growth rate or sales growth rate, the earnings, and we compare that for the growth rate on earnings, then the balance sheet is looking at the equity, the amount of it, and then the growth rate over the years, and the cash flow statement is looking at operating cash flow. <clears throat> operating cash flow is the amount of cash the company has in the bank from operations. And it means that you've taken the net income of the company, the income, and you've added back in all of the so-called expenses that you didn't actually have to pay for. Things like <clears throat> appreciation, uh, or rather depreciation of equipment is a non-cash expense. You just sort of write it off. So you're going to add all that back in, and you're going to add in changes in your working capital, which we're not going to get into right now. But the end of the uh, of that group of numbers, starting with net income and working down, adding and subtracting things that, that either cost you cash and you didn't uh, account for it in earnings, or they don't cost you cash and you did account for it in earnings, you get to operating cash flow. And if <clears throat> if you were to go to your bank account and you didn't borrow any money, you didn't spend any money on capital items, um, you didn't pay anybody dividends, you didn't do any of that stuff, then that would be the amount of money in your bank account at the end of the year so that you earned. Okay. So operating cash flow is very important. That's the real cash that's coming in. Now, from that, we're going to figure out the amount of money that we call free cash flow, which is the operating cash flow minus what is called property purchase of property and equipment. I recall this. Yeah. So that's also known as capital expenditures. And capital expenditures are broken into two groups. The first group of capital expenditures, let's call it the stuff that you have to spend money on in order to keep uh, getting, uh, getting your income. So if you own a house and you're renting it out, your operating cash flow, since you've got real simple accounting, is just basically the money that you've got left over at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. now, out of that original rent, you had to pay for the maintenance of the facility, of the house. You had to pay for insurance. You had to pay for taxes. Okay? Those are the things you had to pay for. Well, those maintenance expenses, those uh, sometimes include having to replace the roof. Okay? You got to put in a new 
a new roof. And that new roof in normal business numbers would be called a capital expenditure because it's going to last a lot longer than one year. It's going to last 15 to 20 years. So you're going to also subtract that from your rent. Okay. And what's left over is money that you can put in your pocket. And we call that free cash flow. Um, we can do a different analysis on it a little bit different and tweak it. And it, it would be called owner cash flow. But those those two things, owner cash flow, free cash flow, we'll just say is the money left over after you pay off all the stuff you've got to pay off um, on the house rental that you did. So a business is just like that, Danielle. It's no different. You got operating cash flow is your cash um, for everything except the roof. You, you've got to you've got to deduct the roof still. And in in the world of public companies, that's called purchase of property and equipment. And that is a line item on your cash flow statement. So you take operating cash flow, you subtract purchase of property and equipment, and what you have left is free cash flow. You with Sorry. me so far? I'm with you. Okay, cool. Now, the way a company is supposed to work is that out of your free cash flow, if you owned the whole business, it was your business, you would have a choice of what to do with the free cash flow. Yes, that's the imaginary cash flow that I was thinking of. Exactly. Well, a, not a, imaginary. It's not it's imaginary to the company. Yes. Yeah, but it's imaginary to the owners because now instead of having one owner, we've got you know thousands of owners. So we can't all get together and decide what we're going to do with it. So we have a board of directors and a management team, and they're going to decide what to do with it. And what they're going to decide is based on their skill at this really important thing about businesses uh, for the decisions of the chief executive officer and his team of the allocation of capital. That's really what we're hiring the CEO to do is to allocate that capital correctly. Okay, so they allocate the capital to some different buckets that we could say. One bucket to allocate capital to is to grow the business. So if we've got a really new business, it's, uh, it's Apple Computer in 1990, it's trying to grow, or 19, let's say 1985, it's trying to grow. Apple Computer, if you owned it yourself or, or you got a board of directors, they're going to allocate the capital to growing the business. They want to grow that business. And so they're going to take all of the free cash flow and they're going to put it into continuing to accelerate the growth of the business by marketing those products, by, by building more plants, by doing all that other stuff. So you can take the free capital that's left and then the next year you're going to spend it on stuff to grow the business. Okay. And what so you're not going to do, yeah, what you're not going to do is you're not going to give it back to the owners. No, okay? because you need it. Yeah, because you're the owner and you want to grow the business. That's why you have your money. So you basically come to this fundamental idea about a business and that is in the allocation of capital is it better for me to put the money in my pocket as the sole owner and then I've got to do something with it as an investor I've got to put it someplace I'm, I'm not going to just go spend it on a nicer car I'm I'm going to reallocate this capital to a different company or a different investment all right that's one choice or I can just leave it with this management team and they can put it into this company and grow it like a weed. In other words, they might be able to make me 20 or 30% return on my equity in that company. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. called return on equity. And it's a key number, right? Yeah, and just generally the idea that if you've invested, uh, we as sort of like rule one value investors, I guess, um, are putting money into a company, we expect that company to grow. That's why we are choosing that company. No. No? No. No? No. No. <laughs> I'm yes, glad you told me that you thought that because that's really important to understand. No, actually. Let me, let me explain to you why I'm right. Okay. Here's, <laughs> there are all these numbers that we look at involving past growth so that we can then project future growth. We spent a lot of time on imagining this imaginary number of future growth and therefore 
we expect a company to grow or else we wouldn't spend all that time on those numbers. <laughs> well, we're, we're spending time on those numbers so that we can project future growth. But future growth by itself doesn't really put any money in our pocket. Exactly. Because there's one more step. The future growth produces ultimately a growing free cash flow or a growing cash flow. And it's the cash flow that gives us the value of the business. So I'm going to put a hypothetical in front of you. What if we had a company that wasn't growing at all? Mm-hmm. Okay. It has no growth. Zero. It makes a million dollars a year and that's all it does and that's all it's ever going to do as far as we can tell is make a million dollars a year. Does it have a value? Yeah. Okay. Well, how would we figure out the value if it has no growth? Well, haven't we done exactly this in, in using it in our example of how to find a value because the growth part of it was too complicated? So we stuck with a company that didn't grow and we decided it was, I think, seven to eight times the one million of earnings. So seven to eight million. Well done, daughter. Yes. <laughs> and that's because... Therein, therein lies further evidence of my correctness because we intentionally left out the growth part of that, implying that there is a growth part of it that is vital. Well, there is a growth part of it It's vital. It's just that the growth part of it in this particular example that's vital to know is it's zero. (laughs) 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 It's vital that we know it in order to come... In order to come to the correct value. Zero sounds pretty important. And since we have zero growth, then what we know is we've got a million dollars of cash flow coming in basically forever. And we can figure out the value of the business based on that cash flow. So all we have to do is know that the growth rate is zero and we can work with that quite well, um, just as well as we can work with one that's got 10% or 20% growth rate. What we're really just looking for is what's the cash flow going to be off of this business? And you came back to an understanding of how to value that business by saying that I'm basically willing to pay uh, uh, maybe seven years worth of cash flow in order to own this business free and clear by year eight. That's a reasonable amount to pay for the business. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because for the last hundred years, that's about what people have been average paying for private businesses that don't grow. That's about right. You know, five, six, seven times the earnings is about what you're going to get for a private business that doesn't grow if it's a good business. And so we know it's not about the growth per se. It's about the cash flow. Well, except that it's not about the growth per se. Right on. Right on. What's another way of allocating capital? We have growth of the business. The other way of allocating capital is to simply give it to the owner and say, you know, Bob, uh, or if Danielle's the owner, we say, Danielle, we don't have a way of growing the business. This is a great business. We're making a million dollars a year, but we can't grow it. It's just going to make a million a year. And um, growing it is really not going to give you, trying to grow it, the amount of growth we would get for the amount of money you'd spend to get the growth isn't worth it. You can allocate the capital better to other investments on your own. Um, But since that's not our business, our business is doing whatever, chocolate, then we are just going to give you the money. So if you were the sole owner, you would sit down with the management team. Huh? Is, Is that the dividend part of it? And that's the dividend. Isn't there a third option, which is what Apple's been doing, which is they just keep it? That's the first option. Oh, they call that, that counts under growth? Well, just that counts under growth. Money. Allocation of capital is that they just keep it and they don't have a place to put it right now. But in an abundance of caution, they're holding on to their cash um, in order to take advantage, perhaps, of purchasing companies in the future um, perhaps they'll have an opportunity to expand in some way. So they're, you know, I mean, you can understand management, you know, they would rather have the cash than not have the cash. And so sometimes you've got to go in there and get active with management, kind of slap them around a little bit, which is what a couple of, of major league fund managers have done with Apple is jump in there and say, you know, you guys can't morally just sit out here on, you know, $50 billion and do nothing with it. You know, that's not your money. It's my money. And you need to give it back. And that's exactly what happened with Apple is some people came in there. 
Okay, so that all counts under basically keeping it in the business. Right. And using it how the managers choose to use it. Right on. Or dividends. Right on. Now, there's one more thing you can do with allocation of capital that we're going to come back and talk about a lot more later on. Um, the, the team could also say, look, we would rather, we really don't have a place to put the money that's great right now. Um, but we, we do have one place to put the money that's incredibly great right now. We have this one place. And that is that the market is not pricing our stock properly. It's really, our stock is super cheap here. We think our stock is selling at a price in the market that's about half of what it's really worth. So if we take some of the money that we could give you as a dividend and instead we just buy our stock with it, effectively we've doubled our money instantly in terms of being able to buy this at half price. So essentially we're paying $5 for a $10 bill and we think that's a good idea. That's called a stock buyback. Okay. So those are the three major allocation choices for the company is, well, we really, you've kind of identified a, a fourth one there. So choice number one, <clears throat> we just keep, we keep all of the, the cash flow, the free cash flow, and we spend all of it on growing the business. Choice number two, we keep all of the free cash flow, we spend some of it on growing the business, and we keep the rest of it in cash against a future rainy day in an abundance of caution. Choice number three, we pay it all out to our shareholders, our owners, in the form of a dividend. And choice number four, we take it and buy a whole bunch of our stock because our stock is cheap. Those are really the four allocation choices of, 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 owner, of the management of the business for every company out there that's public. Now, and dividends take us where? Dividends are one of those choices. And like uh, any of these choices can be abused, by the way. All of them are, are, can be used properly and have a place. And like any tool, they can be used badly and out of place. And many, many companies pay dividends for the right reasons, and many of them pay dividends for the wrong reasons. In rule number one, Honey, I wrote about GM. I don't know if you remember this, but I wrote about General Motors paying dividends um, and being heinous bastards about it because... Yeah, yeah you've mentioned it a couple right? of times too, yeah. Because what they were doing is they were actually borrowing money to pay the dividend in order to fool people that all was well. Mm -hmm. In other words, when you pay a dividend, you're really, you're really saying that we have lots of free cash flow we can't use it all to grow the business. Maybe our stock isn't priced well enough to be buying back the stock. So, you know, with all of this excess cash that we just don't know what to do with, we're going to pay it out, a big chunk out to you. Yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying we have so much money, we can't even use it. Yeah. We don't even need it for yeah. a rainy day. We're just gonna give it right back. Exactly. And so unsophisticated people who are not investors, they're just speculators, they're just hoping that things will work out, get suckered into believing that this company is doing well because they have raised, they have paid and raised a dividend every quarter now for 73 consecutive quarters. You know, companies will say stuff like that and, and you'll look at this and say, wow, you know, they just, they just keep growing. They just keep paying it out. And GM did that right up until it went bankrupt. Yeah, that's insane. Isn't that crazy? Those freaking bastards. I would like to say a lot tougher language, but I'm not going to. Yes, please don't. Okay. They don't deserve it. No, they don't. And I'm so glad they got fired. And it just is, makes me so mad because I knew this lovely lady in Jackson Hole who was living in assisted living um, I took her over to Stephen Koch's the home for a birthday party for her that they were throwing for her because he just loved her. And her husband had died and left her a bunch of GM stock. And she was telling me how much she liked it and how it was paying dividends. Now, this is after I wrote the book Rule Number 1. And I had done a lot of research on GM. And I knew 
that they were being heinous bastards and they were on their way to going bankrupt. And what do you tell her? Because her husband told her, you always keep this stock. This company is well run. You know, they will never screw you over. And this will, this will keep you in a good lifestyle for the rest of your life. He told her that and she believed him. And it would be like not believing in your husband to sell that stock. And oh my God, I couldn't even bring myself to tell her what was really going on. I couldn't yeah, do it. It's so hard. It's almost tear, makes me tear up to think about it. Um, so this is what we want to teach I mean, you there guys. There are so many. There are so many stories like that. Oh that's my god! Horrible thing about that particular so. situation, and and other companies like that. Yep. You know, Enron, other ones. Yep. Where they've completely swindled investors, and that is my goal here. How do we not become one of the people? were swindled very 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 good and i'll tell you it's going to boil down to some really simple things honest to god you know what's the debt look like we don't like debt you know are they continuing to grow their earnings do you understand the business well enough to know that they can continue to do this business um, is management keeping return on equity high you know they're keeping it where they they need to keep it those are all huge clues that we're all throwing off red flags for GM. So really, it, and, and Enron, and WorldCom, they were screaming red flags, and, and so I didn't invest in those guys. And, and you would be able to avoid those as well with just, you know, some basic knowledge. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be so able to avoid those. Is just because a company is paying dividends doesn't actually necessarily say anything about their financial worthiness. Absolutely, it does not say anything about their financial worthiness. And, and it, but it is a huge clue to the integrity of the management team. A huge clue when you know what you're looking at. I mean, if you know you're looking at a management team that's borrowing money to pay dividends to keep looking good when that company is falling apart at the seams, you know you're dealing with people who do not have the integrity that you think they should to run a business like that. They don't have integrity. That's a huge red flag for us. We're out of there. Okay, so, so it's a real negative indicator. Yep. Is it also, uh, can it also be the opposite? If you're seeing good numbers on the financial statements, everything looks above board, everything looks good, and they're paying out dividends, is that like a neutral stat? Or is that a stat that goes in the plus call? I would, I would say we will, we will honor it as a neutral stat. If we see that everything looks pretty good, and they're paying out dividends, then we're going we're gonna to hold it neutral for another minute or two here and, under, and understand the next step is if they're paying dividends out, um, we need to understand the nature of dividends and the taxation on dividends. Um, and we need to understand that the management team kind of needs to pay dividends because they can't use all of the cash to grow. Mm -hmm. That's why they should pay dividends. Because dividends in our tax system that we have now are a kind of a negative thing, unfortunately. So this is what you start to understand as an investor about tax policy, um, where you got guys like Bernie Sanders who want to tax dividends to the max. Um, what you need to understand is that Bernie may not really understand investing very well, okay? He, shouldn't, he doesn't really understand investing very well. Because in our country, you're not supposed to be taxed twice on the same money. And yet with corporations, um, our taxation system taxes us twice on the same money. So let's say our lemonade stand is making $100,000 a year in net earnings and has to pay taxes before taxes. It has to pay taxes on that. So let's say that the tax bracket for our, in, for our company is the 40% tax bracket. That means in the $100,000 of earnings on the lemonade stand, they're going to pay out 40,000 of those dollars to the federal government and the state government. So yeah. 40,000 go out the door. That leaves $60,000 in earnings. Okay? $60,000 in earnings. Now let's just say for simplicity that our earnings and our uh, cash flow are the same thing and they can pass they can, which is sometimes the case. So now they've got a choice of passing out this 60 
$1,000 and they're going to look at those four things that they can do with it. They can spend it on growing the company. That's 60000 They can, um, oh, and by the way, if they were to spend it on growing the company, the next year they wouldn't have to pay taxes on that chunk of money because they got to write it off. All right, so there's an incentive to keep trying to grow things from the tax code. Um, they could hold on to it, um, in which case, you know, they've paid the full taxes and now they can just hang on and hope for uh, that they have a cushion for a rainy day. The third thing is they can pay dividends. And the fourth thing is they can buy back stock. Now, if they buy back stock with capital that they've already paid taxes on, there's no new tax event. They're just reducing the number of shares and increasing ownership for all the rest of the owners. Um, and that's a stock buyback. But if they pay a dividend, Danielle, then they pay it out to you. If that dividend is coming into an unqualified account, that means into your broker account where it's not your 401k or your IRA, if that dividend is just coming into your regular account, then you're going to pay taxes on it again. Yeah. It's double taxation. Yep. It is. I promise you that Bernie Sanders knows it exists and understands it. And doesn't care. And doesn't care. Um, and it's, it's just the way it works in our corporate structure. It's a strange thing that it's become 100% accepted. But it has. Yeah. And it's this, I find it a bit easier. It's interesting that you're applying it to dividends. I had not really thought about double taxation when it comes to a dividend payout. Um, but of course, it works there, too. I mean, I often work with private companies. And so it, it's a little bit easier for me to, to think about it in that context where if, you, <clears throat> if you're the owner of a private corporation and you have that, those earnings come in, um, and you pay them out to yourself. Let's say you're a 100% owner and you just pay it all out to yourself instead of reinvesting it in the company. You are going to be paying double taxes on what you pay yourself yep. simply that, because of the corporate structure. So the corporation pays taxes at the corporate level and then the owner pays taxes at the owner level. And the reason that we would pay taxes on dividends is because we are technically owners as stockholders in a company. Yep. And the idea, you know, our progressive politicians have the idea that we should be taking money from the rich and giving it out to the poor. Okay, fair enough. But what then, of course, they look at the corporations as the rich, but they also look at people who get dividends as the rich. And they sort of, that's a, that's a sort of an inherited meme from back in the Depression when, you know, the people who got dividends were the rich, right? But today... Everything has changed. Today, the people who get the dividends are, you know, the firefighters pension fund. The, the California teachers pension fund gets the benefit of these dividends and they go to the teachers. And so today, the very people Bernie trying to help, he's taking the money from. And it's quite interesting, you know, that it's, it's, it's all good sound bites. But if, you, if you're not ignorant about investing, you'd start to realize that the middle class is the vast majority of the recipients of dividends. And so if you if you receive the dividend, which has already had taxes taken from it to the tune of 40%, right? I mean, in other, in other words, if you own the business- Well, it's not always 40%, let's be clear. It depends on all sorts of different corporate structures. Right, it does. Um, and, and, but I'm, you know, we're talking about incremental income, right? It's the very last dollars that are being taxed and so you're gonna get hammered at the highest bracket. And, you know, the corporate federal is 35 or 6, and then the tax, the state's average 4 or 5. Some states are a lot more. So I think 40 is a reasonable number. So essentially, here you have a corporation that you own. It has just earned you $100,000. Now it wants to get the money to you. Well, the first thing that happens is it has to pay taxes on it. So there goes 40 grand. Now it's still trying to get the money to you. So it just gives it to you in the form of a dividend. And now you pay a tax on the dividend. And the tax that you're going to pay on the dividend depends on your tax bracket. If you're in a really low tax bracket, that is a 10 to 15% tax bracket, then you don't pay any dividend, which is kind of nice. If you're like most of the middle class, you're at you know, 25 to 40, then you're going to pay 15% additional taxes. So the, the $60,000 that you got, you're going to pay nine thousand in taxes, and so now. So these numbers that you're saying are, you're not a tax advisor. I'm no, not a tax advisor. I'm not. Let's, let's and they change all the time. On how, 
<laughs> By the way, a lot of corporations do not pay 40% tax, and there's a lot of interesting literature on On, on incremental income. I understand what you're saying. Okay. Um, but I just want people to know, you know, check check your own your own situation with your own tax advisors who are not us. So these numbers that you're giving out are uh, are probably a little bit off. Yeah, and they're they're like right now we're doing this in 2016, and they're going to change again and again and again. This is where the politicians play. But the point here is that double taxation exists. Exactly. So for the middle class, it adds. They've just taken nine thousand dollars more out of your pocket, and they've taxed your one hundred thousand um, dollars almost at, at basically at forty nine percent. If you're in the higher income tax bracket, they're going to tax that dividend at twenty percent. So now you're going to have twelve thousand dollars in taxes taken out of there, and you'll be at about a fifty two percent overall tax. So um, the prop, the, and this of course is well known, and so and so shareholders really in a way don't want dividends they if in other words if the company can use the money in one of these other three ways to either sit on it for a rainy day use it to grow or do stock buybacks many many investors like Warren Buffett would prefer that you not send out the dividend they want you to use the money intelligently they want you to use it rationally um, they obviously don't want you spending money on buybacks when the stock is overpriced. They don't want you spending money on growth if you can't get it at a great rate of return, uh, return on equity. Um, you know, they don't want you sitting on cash just forever. But if, if it's possible to have one of those other things be the way you can allocate capital, they're all preferred over dividends, which is ridiculous when you think about it. <laughs> because... The, all that does is encourage companies to make mistakes with your money. It's called it's a misallocation or malallocation of capital that's driven by the tax code, which is driven by stupid politicians who are on one hand trying to get the workforce more money, higher wages, you know, driven by more consumption, and they're they're not allowing the flow of money out to the end owner of the money. And this, this mal-tax program that's out there drives these sorts of errors. And I'm telling you, the kind of errors corporations make. I mean, on one hand, Bernie Sanders and all of the progressives are screaming bloody murder, just like me, about what kind of lifestyle these CEOs and this, you know, the C-suite executives are living. They're living like, like kings wished like the king of Persia 2,000 years, like he wished he could have lived. That's how these CEOs are living. They're paying themselves $15, 20000000 million a year. And that's just the beginning, folks, because they're taking this money, which is taxed on dividends, and instead of paying a dividend with it, they're buying ranches in Texas so their executives can go hunting. They're buying Gulfstream 5 jets because they can, they can write this stuff off of the tax bill. And so these taxes are creating enormous malinvestment and stupid allocations of capital instead of getting money to the people who own the business. And who is that? It's the California Teachers Pension Fund. It's the Chicago Firefighters Fund. It's you and me. It's our retirement. And instead of putting the money where it belongs, they're living like little gods. And it's all driven by tax code. So I'm telling you, you guys, you've got to go deeper um, when you're thinking about what we should be looking for from our politicians. You've got to go deeper. And it's one of the reasons that I am really excited about teaching Danielle this stuff. I want my kids to go into the voting booth with an idea of what it means to vote for this politician or that politician in terms of their own personal economic success. So, okay, I'm off my soapbox. Well box. done, Dad. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I appreciate the uh, the primer <laughs> on tax policy. I don't think that there's anyone proposing right now that we change the double taxation structure of corporations. And no. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. No, I don't think it's, it's going to change ever because of the way corporations are set up as, as standalone entities. That's how our entire legal structure is is handled right now so yeah. i really don't see it changing well that's i think that's, it is what it is and i think that companies uh everyone's on the same playing field you know like we don't have any special companies who are exempt 
from double taxation. So right. I don't have a problem with it. I get what you're saying that it's um, it might be causing some sort of perverse decisions or, or perverse incentives that cause decisions that are less beneficial to owners. But at the same time, I'm not sure I buy it because the other options are equally beneficial to owners, presumably. Putting money back into the company, equally beneficial, I would think. Saving money for a rainy day so that that company doesn't go bankrupt like GM did, equally beneficial. Even buying stock back if it's at a good price, equally beneficial. So I'm not sure that that it's actually a perverse incentive. I think that that's a debatable one. And I can promise you there are a lot of law review articles about that. So I'd be actually kind of interested in that one from a a legal geek perspective. Well, I'll tell you what, I I appreciate your your actually you have a lot of expertise in this area. And um, but I would like to like to just correct one aspect of that. And that is that it's a level playing field. Well, it isn't a level playing field at all. This You were talking a little bit ago about how we are in a world market and you're all about free trade. Well, honey, the bad news about taxes is that it changes the playing field dramatically depending on what country you live in. <clears throat> no, I knew, and I knew you were going to go there. But here's the thing with that. All American companies are on a level playing field and those companies equally can move to other countries if they so choose. And they so, are. And they are. And so we are We are on a level playing field, no, I think. No, actually. Um, the President of the United States has just changed the level playing field by ordering that the, uh, that the, the, countries, the companies that are trying to move to other countries to get away from American oppressive taxation so that they can be competitive in the world, where their competitors are being taxed at half the rate or lower uh, than American corporations. They've just stepped in to prevent them from doing that. And they just, for example, CF Industries was trying to merge with a Dutch company and they just scratched the merger last week um, because of the change in the tax code driven by policy uh, in America. And so this makes CF less competitive around the world. And uh, and all that's going to come from that is companies we're going to they'll start somewhere else. I mean, they just I, simply I, won't begin here. I don't know the case that you're talking about. My guess is that it sounds like an antitrust case and an antitrust decision would be very different than some sort of It's not antitrust at all. It's driven by changes in the tax code. Okay. That they will not get to Let's write off what they thought they could. Let's take this up next time. <laughs> I I okay. think But I let think me let me just say this a little bit because it sounds like it's not the full story. Well, let me just say that the full story is that of extremely obvious, and that is that when you drop corporate taxation to zero and you don't tax your corporations at all, you just tax the money at the other end um, with the investors. And some, some uh, countries even go so far as to not tax the results of investing at all in any way, shape, or form, um, like Singapore, for example. That's a totally different conversation than double taxation. Well, it's all in the same vein, because what I wanted to point out is that... Basically, you just don't want to get taxed. um, I don't want to get taxed like that. I do want to get taxed. I just don't want to get taxed like that. I don't want to get taxed in ways that creates malinvestment either personally or in my companies that I own. And unfortunately, whatever you tax, you get less of. So if you tax... Dividends, you're going to get less dividends. If you tax corporation income, you're going to get less corporation income. They're going to find ways to reduce income, including buying Gulfstream 5 jets and hunting farms in Texas. They're just going to do that. Absolutely. And that's the entire problem of tax policy. That's the problem with tax policy. Because it's going to create a disincentive for that thing. Exactly. So, you know, where I sit is that I think we ought to have uh, taxation on consumption. So that you get more savings, more savings from less consumption because you tax consumption. And there's a way to do that that was done in this country for almost 200 years. The, the uh, advent of the amendment to the Constitution to give us the right or give, give the legal right to have income tax only happened in 1913 or 17, something like that. It's a relatively new feature in America and it has created some enormous problems and um, we're, if we were to change the tax code, 
dramatically um, along the lines of what are some suggestions in this political race, it would make America so much more competitive. It would provide so much of an increase in wages for our workers. It would solve so many of the social problems that we have uh, that are a result of the economy. And yet the demagogue politicians just crank away uh, on how this is all in favor of the rich. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so we could this. do some of those things. Yep. And what matters to us is that knowing that the dividends that come out of a co- out of a company have these incentives and disincentives around them being paid out. I think that's important to know. Yeah. So next yeah. time let's talk about how dividends factor into valuation or if they factor into valuation. Okay, we can talk about that. It's not a long conversation. Um, they don't let's factor into our valuation. <laughs> and and Thank we had you. we had you just qu- stole my intro for next podcast. No, I think we're done. We're done. I, I I think dividends are just one means of allocation of capital. They they they're not particularly meaningful for us because we're looking at essentially the overall value of the business. And and if the company is using dividends properly um, and not paying them out, it's because they can use the money to grow the business better than. Uh, and we're happy with that, that the return on our dividends is going to be better left with the company than it would be if you give it to me to go reallocate. Um, and if they're paying dividends and doing it right, it's because they don't have a place to allocate this capital and they're getting it back out regardless of tax policy to us investors. I would like to we'll talk more that. about other we'll things. We'll get into that next time. Yeah, we'll get into it next time. Okay, with that, it's time to go play. See ya. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you got to do is enter the special podcast code stockpile, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, stockpile, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion, and it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, And I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.